0: Today, we are talking about a movie from the golden age of Hollywood, Cat People, from 1942. Uh, So, uh, I guess I'll say some basic stuff about the movie, and then Heather will do the plot summary. But before that, I should plug our uh, social media. Uh, If you're enjoying this podcast, you can check us out on Twitter. What is our Twitter handle, Heather?
1: It is CinematiconPod.
0: Okay, so... At Look out for that. Pod. Yeah, with at before it. Um, yeah. Watch out for spicy memes on there.
1: <laughs> you saw the meme uh, I posted.
0: I mean, which one? You are posting memes all day? No. People should just. I do
1: not. I, I do not post memes all day. If you if you're coming and looking for memes all day, you're gonna be disappointed. But once in a while, there is a good meme. Yes.
0: Yeah. Look for memes once in a while. <laughs> And you will find them at Cinematicon Pod on Twitter. Um, so, uh, yeah, and uh, if you're listening to this on iTunes or some other service that lets you leave a review, you know, that would be nice. Interesting um,
1: pronunciation you chose there for that word.
0: Hmm. A lot of interesting pronunciations on this show, in addition to interesting classic horror movies, of which. Cat People is one. you like that segue? Uh, Cat People, which was released in 1942, was directed by Jacques Tourneur and produced by Val Luton. The screenplay was written by DeWitt Bodine, based on a story by Luton. It stars Simone Simone, Kent Smith, and Jane Randolph, and features a musical score by Roy Webb. It was is a that- huge... Sorry. That?
1: Is that how you pronounce it? It's Simone, Simone. I thought it was Simone Simon.
0: Well, she's uh French. So I would guess it would be the French pronunciation,
1: which is Simone Simone.
0: Uh for the I mean, we're, we seem to agree about her first name. Uh-huh. But, but the last name, SIMON, in French you'd say Simon, right? Not uh Simon. Okay.
1: Okay. I didn't know.
0: Uh, i don't really know either uh you know but i i don't think it would be simon uh
1: okay i didn't i didn't know i didn't know she's french so
0: oh yeah i mean she's she's super french so uh despite the small budget uh the film was a huge financial success which helped the studio rko recover from the dreadful box office bomb that was citizen kane released just the year before Uh, This led RKO to task Luton with producing a sequel, 1944's The Curse of the Cat People, which we'll be discussing a little later today, along with a string of other low-budget horror flicks. Several of these have also become classics, including The Leopard Man, I Walked with a Zombie, and The Body Snatcher. Luton was given creative freedom, but with one caveat, he had to stick with the title given to him by the studio. Sometimes this had humorous consequences, as with The Curse of the Cat People, which doesn't actually contain any cat people, or much <laughs> of a curse for that matter. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you wanna uh, jump into the plot summary? We should say spoilers. If you wanna enjoy all the surprises in this film, you should go watch it now and then come back.
1: Yeah, this is definitely one you wanna watch first, cause it's really good. Okay, uh, Serbian immigrant Irina Debrovna is living in New York City as a fashion sketch artist. When she meets Oliver Reed, marine engineer, the two fall in love and quickly get married. Irina has always different, felt differently than others, but she isn't sure why that is. One peculiar peculiarity that sets arena apart is her apartment being in close proximity to the zoo and while the cries of the resident panther unsettled the other tenants arena finds them soothing arena is also haunted by some ancient lore of her serbian village a tale about witchcraft and evil women who change into panthers when triggered by anger or jealousy her husband insists that arena see a psychiatrist especially since she's convinced that if he kisses her she will change into one of these Panthers. As Oliver begins to feel more and more estranged from Marina as she seems to be spiraling further into her delusions, the closer he becomes to his beautiful and charming coworker, Alice.
0: Uh, What did you think of this one, Heather? We kind of, we picked this because it's something that you hadn't seen, but I thought that you would really like.
1: Yeah, and a lot of people over the years have been saying the same thing to me. Like, have you seen Cat People? Like I, I get asked that all the time for some reason, and so I wanted to figure out why people kept saying that to me.
0: Yeah, so I guess we should. Those are two questions, right? First of all, did you in fact like it, and then second, like, what is it about you that you think makes people I don't uh, think that you would
2: like I,
1: it. I thought that it would be super obvious once I saw it, and i I still don't know. I don't know why. Hmm. Um. I yeah, I really like it, definitely. It's a lot different than I expected.
0: Um What did you expect?
2: Ooh,
1: I don't I, I thought first of all, I thought she was gonna be some kind of like were panther and she was gonna like turn into a panther. Um, like mm-hmm. in front of us, you know, like we would see it. I thought it was gonna be like a werewolf movie. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, like uh the Wolfman which came out just the year before. Right.
1: That's what I was expecting.
0: Yeah, so that was another thing I wanted to talk about um, was uh, the differences between this and the Universal monster movies that were coming out around the same time, uh, and I think that is one one big difference is uh, we don't see the transformation in this. Like those Universal movies are largely about uh, special effects, like yeah. special makeup effects, right? Like the monsters all are always like front and center. Um, and those are kind of like the money shots of those films are when we finally see the monster transform or wreak havoc, you know, Frankenstein's monster
2: mm-hmm.
0: rampaging and destroying things. You know, it's kind of like, it's almost like a, you know, a kaiju movie or something where you're kind of in it for the, the monster action. Right. Um, whereas here there's almost none of that. Everything is done through suggestion and implication. We never see Irena transform. Um, And in fact, uh, the filmmakers didn't want to ever show Irena in her uh, Panther form, but there are a few shots of her as a Panther in the film that the studio insisted they go back and do reshoots in order to add those.
1: Mm. I think it's a really interesting approach and and I, I kind of like it. I think it's mysterious um it's kind of that thing again where like if you see the monster it's not as scary like it it gives it more of this like elegance almost Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: it's its very own flavor you know
0: yeah to me the the filmmaking style it almost films feels like uh film noir Mm -hmm. the 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 heavy use of like shadow um and the way in which i don't know we have all these characters walking around this big city and it's usually nighttime and there's uh just a, a sense of menace
1: do you have a cat next to you right now
0: yeah actually a cat has jumped into my I can lap hear it purring um,
1: people are going to think you added special effects for this episode <laughs> it couldn't be more perfect. yeah it's
0: actually very very appropriate i happen to be fostering four black cats mm-hmm. at the moment and uh, they're super friendly.
1: That's hilarious. I'm like, am I hearing purring or am I insane? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, that's uh, that's Nova the cat.
1: It's so cute. Royalty
0: free sound so, effects. Okay, so what did you like about the movie?
1: Um, I really like the acting for the most part. Uh, the music is great. Hmm. Yeah. Do you have stuff to say about that?
0: Uh, not so much about the music. Really. I find that there's certain moments in the film that uh, I really enjoy. Um. I like. I think. Uh, I don't know. I feel a little conflicted. A little conflicted about uh, Simone Simone's performance. Oh. Overall, I think it's a great performance. There's certain line deliveries that i think they should have done another take uh where i don't think she she says the line correctly um if i was there i would say hold on do it again um like for instance uh she's having a fight with her husband oliver uh because he's just told his co-worker alice about uh, her frigidity and uh He says, well, but I, I just knew that Alice would understand. And she responds, well, the line should be, there are some things that women don't want other women to understand. Mm -hmm. But she says that she puts the emphasis on women. I think she says like, there are some things that women don't want women to understand, want other women to understand. And it's like, that's not, uh, (laughs) that's not how that line should be said. Right? Like the, the, it's responding to his claim that she'll understand by saying, Mm -hmm. actually, I didn't want her to understand that. Right. Um, so I don't know, there, there are moments like that, but they're pretty few and far between. Um, and I I really like the, the, the cattishness of her performance because, you know, we're not going to show her transform. And so we have to kind of establish her feline nature in every other way. So there are all these little things in the film pointing towards cats, right? Like there's some kind of uh, reference to cats in almost every scene. Um, but also in her performance, she has this like uh, these cat-like behaviors uh, that are uh, somewhat subtle um, and sometimes not subtle, like when she scratches the the couch. I really like that sequence right um oliver walks out of the room and she's frustrated and she just runs her hand down the 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 back of i think it's the back of like a a couch or a chair and we see that uh she's just cut you know her nails have just cut into it um but uh another scene that i really like is um when she kills the bird in the bird yeah. cage yeah um Uh, because it it dies of fright when she sticks her hand in there. Mm -hmm. Um, And she could have played that like she's just, uh, you know, trying to get the bird and then she's kind of frustrated because it's flying away and then it dies and she's upset. But instead you can kind of see this, this, uh, uh, cat-like fascination with the bird in her eyes and and she's kind of smiling as she's chasing it around with her hand in the in the cage in the same way that a cat would do he's just sort of like taken over by the the fact that this thing is moving all over and it's like i want to get it you know Mm -hmm. um so that's like a a neat little moment there's there's a lot of things like that that are are kind of clever
2: yeah
1: i like it
0: um did you have any least favorite elements of the film
1: uh yeah (laughs) i can't stand oliver hmm i think he's just bland and stupid (laughs) yeah i don't get how he has these like two women that are in love with him i'm just like why
0: he's just an all-american boy
1: just so lame Like, what? (laughs) So that's, it was very distracting for me, like, how much he
0: sucks. Hmm. Well, he's not mean, though. No,
1: he's not mean, but he's all, he's kind of ignorant, and he's just kind of boring, and (sighs) unobservant, and I what? just unappealing to me hmm. just like what couldn't you have made him like a little funny or something so that we can understand why these women like him so much i t- like arena falls in love like they they get married it all happens so fast yeah and they're like immediately in love with each other and i'm like why though Pat, no and then alice has probably been in love with him for a while
2: Hmm.
1: And- <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I can I can kind of see his relationship with Alice, right? Cuz they're very they're both these very like pragmatic, optimistic people. They really seem to see eye to eye and work well together.
1: Well, Alice is the best part of the movie.
0: You really like Alice?
1: Yeah, I really like Alice. She's really funny. She's uh she's gregarious. She's she's just she's cool she's just super cool you know she's very understanding and she's she like admits that she's in love with him but she's like i know you don't feel the same but whatever like we're friends you know like she's just she's very like evolved Mm -hmm. she's way too good for him i don't know (laughs) what the fuck is going on there but you know we've all fallen in love with trash men at some point so i guess i get it um I don't know. I think she's super interesting as a character.
0: You know, it's kind of funny. This is reminding me of uh I've been I've been a sort of on a Universal Monster Movies kick lately. Mm-hmm. I have this uh Blu-ray set that I got for Christmas that has like every Universal Monster Movie. It's got like 30 movies.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I've been kind of just watching through all the ones that I hadn't seen before. And so I've been watching a lot of them from the early 40s recently. Uh, when this movie came out and there does seem to be a problem with having likable male leads in these movies. Mm -hmm. Um, I just watched um, the Invisible Man series uh, and uh, there's one that came out. uh, I want to say the same year as this one, uh, 1942, called Invisible Agent.
1: Okay.
0: Which is actually not a horror. It's like a spy thriller, wartime spy thriller. Oh boy. Uh where the invisible man goes into Nazi Germany and, you know, uses his invisibility to Well get
1: finally they're using it secrets. for some kind of advantage. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean it's not a bad premise, but it's a bad movie. For me Yeah, it's not a great movie mm-hmm. and the problem with it well. One really bizarre thing is um, it has... An invisible man? Sorry. No, it has Peter Lorre playing a Japanese man. Oh, boy. But he's still doing the... Here we go. Peter Lorre. Hey, you know, like the, the Peter Lorre voice that we all know and love with the thick German accent. And he he's supposed to be Japanese. It's bizarre. Oh, no. Um, but... Uh, and he's like a very stereotypical, you know, he's all about honor and then he ends up like uh uh what's the word? Harakiri-ing himself, you know, he, he uh Seppuku. stabs himself. Sepuku, yeah. Um great. Uh so there's that. But putting that aside, the the real problem with the movie is that the the main character is just like the least likable guy. uh he's so frustrating as a character. He's uh he's a spy so he's the the grandson of the original invisible man frank griffin um so he's frank griffin jr i guess he would be junior junior. And junior the third but they call him junior but what whatever anyway <laughs> the, po- the point is he sort of inherited this uh formula to turn invisible and he turns it over to the government during world war ii but only on the condition that he gets to be the one to go and spy using the invisibility. Uh, which the generals are like, at first they're like, uh, no, you're, <laughs> you're not in the military. You're not, you don't know what the hell you're doing. You're just going to, you know, get yourself killed and maybe other people. Right. But he, he insists and he insists and they eventually give it to him. And so he goes over there and he just he just fucks everything up. He is just not taking it seriously. Um, he is, uh, he's like playing practical jokes and stuff.
1: Oh my God. And
0: uh, he uh, kind of hooks up with a double agent. Um, she really reminded me, I don't know if probably Quentin Tarantino saw this because he's seen everything, but he, she reminded me of um, Greta von Hammerschmark, the, oh, yeah. the character from *Inglorious Bastards. She's like a German kind of high society lady who is secretly informing on, informing to uh, British uh, Secret Service on, not Secret Service, British intelligence services on what the high command of the Nazis is up to.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And so she's in a delicate position where she has to be friends with these, you know, horrible Nazi people and not let on that she's secretly has very different views. Um, And so he ends up staying in her house. And then while that she's having dinner with this Nazi high command stooge guy, um, he's like, uh, you know, pushing the mashed potatoes into the guy's face and like screwing things up and making the guy get all upset and, and freaked out. And I don't know that the, the whole movie is like that. It's like one terrible decision by our pro- protagonist uh, after another. And by the end, it's just like, I just want him to die. <laughs> oh,
2: but he doesn't, you know, he, he saves
0: the day and he gets the girl despite his total incompetence and, <laughs> and lack of concern for anyone around him.
1: really I, oh man that's hilarious love it
0: so i guess c- compared to that oliver is not, <laughs> is not a problem
1: i don't know <laughs> i still think he's a problem mm. i was like you know well i'll bring it up later never mind
0: well it's it's just i guess it's a it's a different time right like i, I actually uh. kind of like that speech where uh he's talking to alice and he's like you know, it's really it's harder for me because I've never had anything bad happen in my life before. <laughs> I've never faced any kind of hardship. And so now that I am, it's like way harder, so I deserve even more sympathy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And it's like, hmm <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I don't yeah, think uh, 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 someone would say that in twenty nineteen.
1: Definitely not. Someone would say it, but they'd be ripped to shreds for it.
0: Yeah, that wouldn't be the hero. No. But, uh yeah, he, he has a kind of childishness to him.
1: Definitely. That's a good way to put it. He's very naive.
0: So I guess, as far as the love triangle goes, I guess, are you on the side of Alice, then?
1: Uh, this is what I was just going to say. I was watching the movie, and I was like, you know... Arena and Alice should get together and fuck this whole guy all together. Like, just throw him out completely. These are both very interesting women that are very different. They mm-hmm. should have been together. I shipped that watching the movie. Like, especially during, like, Arena, like, stalking her and stuff. I'm like, okay, I could, yeah, I could see this.
0: Well, I, Arena can't really be with anyone, right? I guess not, but still. Listen, this is... Because she'll kill them.
1: This is the fan fiction I'm writing, okay? Okay. You can't tell me what I want.
0: Where she, like, gets cured of her...
1: Yeah, like, by the power of true love, she's cured. And she gets it from mm. Alice instead. Like, they're, they they deserve better. Like, this is nonsense. They both deserve better.
0: Yeah. I think uh Irena is a very sympathetic character um one another thing i really like about uh the performance and also the writing of of the character is she is she transforms because of like some intense emotion right Mm
2: -hmm.
0: um so if she had sex she would transform also when she gets super jealous she transforms into a panther Mm -hmm. um and so you might expect that she would be i don't know like hulking out kind of when she's transforming
2: yeah
0: but instead it's i think they took another sort of cue from what cats are like you know cats when they're uh stalking their prey uh they're not like roaring and you know, angry and emoting. They're, they're kind of playful in a way. And that's what arena is like when she goes after Alice. Um, she's just stalks quietly behind her. Um, and then, uh, what does she do when she's in the pool? She, she rips up her, uh, like clothes or whatever. It was her robe. Her robe. Yeah. Um, but then uh, she sort of becomes herself again mm-hmm. and starts talking to Alice in the pool, mm-hmm. and she—you can tell that she's kind of having fun with it. Oh yeah, she's she enjoys the fact that Alice is terrified of her totally, and that kind of reminded me of how like a cat will like play with its its prey,
2: mm-hmm.
0: whereas with something like the Wolf Man. You know there's just this i guess there's more of like a total disconnect between larry talbot the man and then his wolf form Mm -hmm. where he's just running around strangling people and acting in this crazy bestial way when he's a wolf and then when he's a man he's just like oh my god what have i done
1: yeah there wasn't a lot of like there's no like showing of her remorse in any way like because mm-hmm. I don't think it's theirs so, and like she didn't do anything but you, you know what I'm saying
0: well I mean she is like terrified of
1: she she was at first She they show her in the bathtub like crying right you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about yeah and then she kind of like got over it it's almost like she accepted it
2: hmm
0: well she kind of it comes to seem like a way out for her. You know, she's trapped in her relationship mm-hmm. and in her life. Um, and there's that that great dream sequence where oh, she boy. sees the King John holding the sword. And then the sword becomes the key, mm-hmm. uh, which is the key that uh, the, uh, to the janitor... Cage. Yeah, that the the janitor to the at the zoo like always misplaces, and so she has access to it. Um, there's a a way in which uh, choosing to become the the panther um, or to you know to let the panther out of the cage, which is like a symbolic mm-hmm. act, is also sort of choosing her own death. Oh, so I did uh, make a note of the. Uh, interesting title cards that open and close the film okay the movie opens with a title card that has a quotation from dr judd who we then learn in the movie is a is a fictional character he's the psychologist that irani goes to see
1: yeah don't even get me started on this motherfucker
0: yeah he's an interesting guy Mm. um and uh it's something about, like, depressions in the world consciousness. It's kind of like psychoanalytic uh, nonsense. And, um, and then at the end of the movie, we get another title card with a quotation from the uh, English Renaissance poet John Donne. Uh, but black sin hath betrayed to endless night my world, both parts and both parts must die. Okay. And I think that's pretty interesting because it's kind of um, balancing two contradictory interpretations of the events of the film. Like we see one at the beginning and one at the end, and we're sort of left to decide between them. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Judd interprets Irena's malady as a uh, psychological illness that she's like terrified by her own sexual desires, Mm um, because of some childhood trauma that she's repressing. So she needs to like, uh, go under hypnosis and explore her past and all that kind of stuff. Sure. And I think that's not an uncommon reading of this type of story, right? Like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the Wolfman, these stories where characters transform into an evil alter ego that wreaks havoc. Um, There's this idea in a lot of these stories that, you know, we each have a darker side to our psyche. We have dark sort of desires that we're repressing.
1: The shadow self.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so that's like young. Um, so it's interesting that the movie sort of incorporates that perspective into the film itself. Mm-hmm. But then it has this other interpretation, which is more like how Irena sees it, um, which is the John Dunne thing, that um, it's about sin, right? Like it's a religious interpretation of what's going on. Um, that she's inherited this this evil from her ancestors and there's something uh inherently evil about you know her her sexual desires and stuff and so it's and ultimately this is the story of someone being confronted by temptation and and uh giving in to sin so i don't know what, what's what interpretation uh makes more sense to you or do you think neither of them really do
1: not really either of them i guess
0: yeah is that
1: i just don't like it <laughs> i guess i feel like it takes away some of the magic if you dive deep into that interpretation stuff hmm. it's just a personal thing for me i guess
0: what about? Well, I feel like, like when I said Dr. Judd, you sort of made a noise.
1: Well, yeah, because he's like some kind of his his methods are shady. He's like, how about yeah. I kiss you? I'm like, excuse me.
0: Right. Uh, yeah, I think the film by kind of showing us that he's kind of a sleazebag. Yeah. And even beyond that, he's so condescending and arrogant. Yeah, he sucks. Uh, it. It really, I think, discourages us from agreeing with him. Yeah, anything that this he is says really is about. Bullshit. So. Yeah. But at the same time, if Irena is right, I mean, that's just such a bleak view of human nature, right? That we have this, like, evil that's inherent in us and it's just gonna destroy us. There's no there's no escape.
1: Well, I mean, everyone um, has a shadow self. And... Mm-hmm. If well, now you, you
0: sound like Dr. Judd.
1: How dare you, first of all? <laughs> this is just true. And if you... The more you, um, like, suppress that shadow self, the more it's going to, like, manifest in your real life. It's about embracing your darkness and, like, being okay with it. And that's how you kind of keep it in check. Like the more you mm. repress that, the more it's going to take control of you. And that's true, like about everybody, like no, no one's good or bad. We're all both. And we just have to, mm. you know, accept those parts of ourselves. unless you're like, you know, a child molester or something like then, I'm not talking about that. That's a different mm. thing.
0: Well, what if you murder people when you become intimate Also,
1: not what I'm talking about. Hmm. That's not good. I mean, I feel like Irina should have, like, gone back to Serbia and, like, found out what she can do about it. Does she just have to mm-hmm. go fuck off to the mountains? Is that what she's supposed to do?
0: I don't know. I think... I You know, I like your idea about how we need to accept that other part of ourself.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And maybe, maybe that's what brings down Irena. Yeah. Because like we were talking about the dream that she has where she sees King John and she kind of does idolize him. She's got like a statue of him in her room
2: mm-hmm.
0: where he's impaled a panther on his sword. Um And... So there's something like masochistic about that. As as a cat person herself, and the descendant of this tribe of cat women, mm-hmm. um, that she, I think, has sort of internalized this patriarchal force that represses her, um, mm. and then in the dream that sort of morphs into the the death wish, the the key that that opens the cage and, and causes her death. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that makes a lot of sense. I also think it's really interesting that she turns into a panther when she dies.
1: Is that what happened? Yeah. Oh.
0: So in the end, she releases the panther from the cage at the zoo and it jumps out it like mauls her on the way out and yeah, kills her
1: see i found that really anticlimactic it was like so to me it looked like he just kind of accidentally knocked her over as he jumped out and i'm just like is she dead like it just i didn't get it i guess because yeah, people they didn't
0: people died easier back then
1: they didn't want to be like too gruesome i guess and like show her like all mangled but it's still yeah. just kind of... I was confused. Like, I, I saw mm-hmm. the end credits come, and I'm like, wait, what? Like, I don't know. I I wanted something better.
0: Yeah, so that panther then uh, escapes from the zoo, and it gets runned over by a bus. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> runned over. Okay.
0: I didn't say runned. I said run. Okay. Anyway, um... <laughs> And then they go and they find a different uh, dead panther right in front of the cage where Irina was. Okay. So presumably that's her. Got it. She's transformed into that form in death. That is true. And what I think is interesting about that is that usually it goes the other way in these movies. Like, uh, you know, in Invisible Man, when he gets killed at the end he becomes visible and that's the first time we actually see Claude Raines. The only time we see Claude Raines in the film is at the very end up in death. Um,
1: so maybe and then the panther is the
0: wolf man, uh, similarly he's killed in his wolf form, but then he turns back into Larry Talbot.
1: The Panther is her true form.
0: Yeah. It suggests that that's the, the real form, the form that she's been trying to escape for the whole film. Uh, is the real Irena, which is kind of, uh, I don't know, it's dark. Yeah, it is. (laughs) But it it fits, I think, with your interpretation that uh, we need to accept that 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 is at least part of ourselves.
1: So because she suppressed it, it took over.
0: Yeah. I guess another way of reading the movie that's interesting to me is in terms of uh, the experience of coming to America and being asked to leave your culture behind. So uh, Irena is an immigrant and when she meets Oliver, I think she tells him that he's like the first friend that she's made in this country. So she's a relatively recent immigrant and uh oliver when she starts talking about cat people and weird stuff he tells her uh those things have nothing to do with you really because you're in america now so uh, he seems to have this sense that you know now that you're you know being american means not having this cultural baggage from some other country okay um so that's interesting to me because, you know, this was made during World War II. And, uh, you know, wartime is always a time when uh, people's connections to other countries become very fraught, you know? It becomes like the source of social anxiety and conflict. And in World War II, there was, of course, the Japanese internment, um, where anybody in the U.S. who had uh, Japanese ancestry were basically put into concentration camps. Mm Um, and, you know, people who had, uh, German last names in this period might change their last name and, you know, instead go by Johnson or something, you know? And so people become, uh, paranoid, right? That their fellow Americans might not really be American. They might be, uh, more sympathetic to America's enemies and then people who have connections to other countries might, you know, f- be worried that other people see them that way and sort of try to repress that part of their themselves.
1: Yeah. I thought it was pretty I think, uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's uncomfortable for, for Irena.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I wonder if that's like sort of part of what the movie is, thinking about with this cat people business could be it's you know like we're talking about how she has to she's sort of repressing her desires and that seems to suggest that you kind of can't do that but maybe it's also that she's trying to repress her her heritage and that's another thing that'll sort of keep coming up in unexpected ways but yeah i think a lot of the movies that were coming out in this time period are sort of similarly reflecting on that in different ways. Um, Like, I mean, we were just talking about Invisible Man, uh, how that series got roped into like directly being about World War II and espionage and stuff. Um, And uh, in the Mummy series that I'm watching, those movies sort of transition in the early 40s from being about white people going into Egypt and messing around in tombs and getting cursed to an Egyptian priest coming to America with a mummy and uh, sort of trying to blend into American society while also carrying out this nefarious plot of whatever it is. It's pretty vague a lot of the time. It involves sending the mummy to go kill people. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of like a theme that you can trace in a lot of like horror movies of this period. Um, but this one maybe has a more nuanced take on it. I can see it. So one scene that everybody talks about when they talk about this movie is the, the bus scene. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Not where the panther gets hit by the bus at the mm-hmm. end, but um, the first time that Irena stalks Alice as she's walking to the bus stop. So this is sometimes cited as the first jump scare. It's I don't know about that, but it's probably the first fake-out scare, yeah. the first time that we are deliberately have something jump out at us that then turns out to be safe and you know, not the monster. Um, And, uh, so for a long time after this, actually fake out scares in horror movies were actually referred to as Luton buses Hmm. because of that scene. So, uh, what do you think about that, that sequence? What makes it effective?
1: Well, that scene in the pool scene are the only scenes that made me feel like I was actually watching a horror movie. Yeah. The rest of it's not scary
0: yeah it's more of a drama
1: there's a lot of good use of shadows, and it it plays on that feeling of like knowing someone's watching you, but you don't mm-hmm. know from where and that's the sound design
0: I think is great too, yeah, like the clicking of the heels on the pavement
2: mm-hmm.
0: like you can hear that she's being followed even when you can't see it. Yeah. And then when the clicking stops, that means that the thing following her no longer has heels. So that's scary too.
1: Yeah. Totally. It was a really good scene. I liked it.
0: I think it's neat too how like, um, you know, the actual jump scare, it kind of manipulates you because we're expecting from the way the shot is framed, that the, the panther is going to come in from the left side of the frame.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And instead the bus comes in from the right side. So it's like extra surprising, you know, it's coming from somewhere that we aren't looking. And then it makes this like loud hissing noise as it's stopping. That also kind of is reminiscent of a, a cat's hiss. So um, did you have anything else to say about the uh, Luton bus? No.
3: Uh anything else you wanted to talk about with cat people? Uh yeah. I mean the the lady in the restaurant.
2: Hmm. The What was the that waitress. About?
3: No. Oh. Because I like the, the waitress in the in the restaurant.
1: You like the waitress in the restaurant, oh yeah her yeah. she's really she's cute she's Not her she's though. really
0: worried that nobody's eating the chicken gumbo <laughs> and that's something I really love about uh Val Luton films is the way that he he puts a lot of effort into characterizing even very minor characters uh, yeah, he that's also nice. uh ha, sort of had a habit of uh, casting african American actors in. Admittedly, only in, in minor roles like The Waitress, but still better than what you would see in
3: most films from that time. Oh, God. Um, but. Oh, God. What? Just African American roles during that time. In Hollywood movies, yeah. Just embarrassing. Like,
2: oh.
3: oh.
0: Yeah, whereas, uh, the, the black characters in Luton films, I feel, are, like, they're people.
3: Yeah, she wasn't, um,. Like stereotypical you know the way that they wanted African Americans to act in movies, like they wanted them to be really
2: <sighs> it's
1: not like a caricature racist. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, she's just a
0: waitress she's just um, a
1: regular person who talks like a regular person and isn't they're not trying to
3: make fun of black people,
0: yeah, and then I like the uh the- the janitor uh, at the office where Alice and
3: Oliver work she like collects matchbooks I think and Alice gives her one and she
0: goes ooh chartreuse ain't that elegant This is a funny line, but it's just it's just also just neat that, you know, this makes the movie feel like it takes place in the real world, you know, where yeah. even characters that just have a few lines, you can tell that they have their own life and their
3: own interests and it's they're not just the It's nice know, cardboard cutout. Yeah.
2: But, but uh, anyway what, what was the scene I'm, you were thinking
3: of? I'm talking about the Serbian woman. hmm The catwoman. Yes, the Catwoman. What's that about? Well,
0: you, to make another digression here, you were telling me about some connection to the Catwoman, the, the, the Batman character. Yes.
1: Um, Selena Kyle, in the comics, she uses Arena Dubrovna as an alias
3: that she often goes by.
0: So that's, that's kind of a neat little homage there.
3: Yeah, I was pretty excited when I found out. And when I heard that name, I'm like, oh, now I get it.
0: Yeah, you know, I feel like this movie is one that probably most people have never heard of. Um, whereas people probably would have heard of like Frankenstein and Dracula, like the other black and white classic movies from like Universal, I think have more, a lot more cultural penetration. But it, in a lot of ways, it was an influential movie and you do see little like references to it pop up here and there.
1: Mm-hmm. I looked it up. I wondered if if this movie predated Catwoman, but it doesn't. Hmm. Catwoman existed first, but there are major Maybe that's why they had to
0: call it Cat People instead of the Catwoman.
1: Maybe. Because, yeah,
3: they came... Catwoman was only, like, a few years older. Like, a couple years. So... And, and it was like... You know, she just made her first appearance, pretty much. She didn't, like, have her own titles or anything. Um but there's a lot of similarities i think even though catwoman was first they definitely started integrating stuff from this movie into her character hmm. so
0: okay so what, what what were you thinking about so you're talking about the yeah the, the lady who kind of just gives sirena the uh, stink eye and and then she kind of she says what does she say to her like hello sister like she that. says
1: moya sestra which means my sister Okay, And so I don't know, Arena, and then she does like that. She crosses herself, like the Catholic thing, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, "What is happening? Why? Why Irena did she scare does that, her yeah. so? Yeah, why does she scare her so badly?"
0: Well, because she's and... a reminder that she hasn't
3: left behind her Serbian cat person past. So, was this woman another Panther lady? Yeah. Well, she seems to be doing okay.
1: Like, <laughs> you know? like.
0: Well, maybe, she's... like you said, she's accepted it.
1: Right, so I I just feel bad that, like, why couldn't Irena, like, go
3: to her for help and be like, yo, how do I live a freaking normal life when I'm also a panther? Like, there's clearly others. So, I'm upset. Okay. Yeah, that's a whole... There's, like, a... There's a whole mythology that's just sort
0: of hinted at in this movie, but never explored.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I just... I feel like Arena could have had some, somewhat of a normal life. Maybe not, you know, completely, but... This lady's out going to restaurants and stuff, so... You know? Yeah. She's eating soup. She's <laughs> like... Right? Yeah, it's a good start, I guess. So come on that's what I would
1: have done that would have been step one for me if I'm like okay I I'm turning into a panther now I need to go track down that lady
3: I thought you were gonna say get soup (laughs) I think soup is like step four Hmm. I I need to like figure out what steps one through three are first Mm -hmm. you know
1: like I would be reaching out to her and asking her for help
0: okay so anything else about first movie or can we move on to you can move on
1: now
0: okay Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about the sequel normally we stick to just one movie per episode but this is kind of a special case because curse of the cat people actually isn't a horror movie uh so it doesn't get its own episode but it is one of my favorite movies and so it gets a a part of an episode um so okay i'll say a few basic things about curse of the cat people from 1944 it was produced by val luton of course the title card says that it was directed by gunther von fritsch and robert wise Uh, what actually happened was that von fritsch who was a first-time director got way behind schedule so they canned him and replaced him with another rookie director robert wise who had previously edited Citizen Kane and would go on to direct classics like West Side Story, The Sound of Music, The Day the Earth Stood Still, The Haunting, and uh, another Val Luton flick, The Body Snatcher. Simone Simone, Kent Smith, and Jane Randolph return from the first Cat People film. Uh, child actress Anne Carter plays the lead role. Like the first film, it was written by DeWitt Bodine, And it has a score by Roy Webb. Unlike the first film, this one is a family drama about childhood fantasies rather than a horror film. RKO went on marketing it as a horror anyway. In addition to the misleading title, they sent out recommendations to theater owners as to how they should promote the film. Uh, And this is a quote: "Stencil paw prints leading to your theater. Send out a small group of men and women wearing cat masks to walk through the streets with cards on their backs reading." Are cats people? What? <laughs> so uh they really went all in on the cat people aspect of the film, uh which isn't actually in the movie itself. So a lot of film goers were disappointed when they saw the movie. That um, sounds
3: like the the fake synopsis that I wrote. Hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. You wrote just people cats or something. <laughs> I said. Cat people, period. People
1: cats.
0: Yep. So maybe you should have worked for the marketing department at RKO. I guess.
1: I mean, i clearly qualified.
0: So, uh, in the sequel, a long time has passed since the events of the first film. Oliver and Alice are married and have a six-year-old daughter, Amy. Amy is an imaginative, quiet kid. Oliver is worried that she'll lose her grip on reality like Irena did with her cat people business so he gets upset when she believes in fanciful things he gets super triggered when he finds out that amy having found an old photo of Irina, has adopted her as her invisible friend at the same time amy makes friends with a crazy old lady julia who lives in the haunted house the other children are afraid of things come to a head when amy runs away on a snowy night as Oliver and Alice search for her, Amy is menaced by Julia's deranged daughter, Barbara. So, okay.
3: um, I'm really interested to know what you thought about this one. Um, well, within like 10 minutes,
1: I was super triggered because the little girl reminded me so much of myself that mm-hmm. I was upset. <laughs> Um, she's very, she's constantly, like, daydreaming and in, like, her own world, and the other kids are mean to her. She's a super
3: loner. Yeah, it was, it was rough for a lot of different points in the, in the film. She's very lonely. Yeah, I found her to be very relatable. Yeah.
1: Also, that actress who plays her is really great. She did an excellent job especially when like the other kids in the movie like are terrible little actors. So Well,
0: and and in uh movies from this period in general, child acting is typically just horrendous.
3: Oh, it was awful.
0: The standard was very low and so yeah. I think that Ann Carter is just shockingly good as Amy.
1: Yeah. She was amazing.
0: An example of how good she is I think is the scene where julia tells her the story of the headless horseman
2: mm-hmm.
0: we just get a long uh, close-up shot of amy's face as she's hearing the story and she's at first sort of entranced and really loving it but gradually her smile fades as the story gets darker and scarier and you can sort of see the the fear creeping into her expression it's it's a really nuanced thing to ask of a child actor,
2: I think.
3: Totally. But she, yeah, she really is, is great. I thought so, absolutely. So, um. So do you do you like the film overall? Um yeah, I I think it's kind of horror esque. I mean, mm. there's a ghost in it. Is there? Yes.: <laughs> I guess um, it's similar to the first
0: film in that way, where um, the, you know, they wanted to not show the panther in the first film because they wanted to leave it somewhat ambiguous whether it was really in Irena's imagination or not. In this one, there's a similar thing where uh, Irena now is Amy's imaginary friend, but she might be real.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And the film, I think, leaves it ambiguous.
1: I interpreted her as real.
2: Hmm.
0: So, I guess I'm more on the side of she's
3: she's Amy's imaginary friend. She's not real. Uh. But I, I don't know. There's certain things
0: that suggest that it really is her, like um, the song that she sings. Mm-hmm. is the it's the song of her people from the first film right So Amy wouldn't know that song right. but we
3: only first see Irena after uh, Amy sees her picture, right? So she first
0: wishes for the friend and we see her look off screen and see the friend. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's only later that she finds Irena's picture and then after that we start seeing the friend and it's Irena. so to me that suggests that the friend might have originally looked like something else and then now she looks like Irena because amy has you know taken that image and made made it into the friend
2: i
1: kind of interpreted it the opposite way hmm. like it was this big reveal
3: like oh shit, the friend is Irena, you know no i don't know what you mean um, like, we didn't see her, so it would, like, be, like, a bigger deal when we find out who it is. Like, mm-hmm.
1: not because she's taking on a different form or whatever.
0: I see. No, I, I think that's there to add to the ambiguity. It's a, mm-hmm. Because if we saw that it was her before Amy knew what Arena looked like, then,
3: it, you know, that would definitely make us think it's a ghost or a or spirit. Um, right. Well, that's how I saw it. So. But yeah, there's, there's vanishing, vanishingly little actual
0: cat people stuff in this movie. It's really yeah. kind of a strange... One of the stranger sequels that's ever been produced, I would say. In that it really is a sequel. I mean, we've got the same characters coming back from the first film. It's mm-hmm. in continuity with the first film, but it's just a totally different genre. <laughs> and uh, that doesn't really really happen like uh you know what if there were the next James Bond film it's in continuity with the other films but bond has retired from MI6 and now he's like a a bank clerk and he has <laughs> like a, a office romance and it's like a rom-com
1: <laughs> I mean things are very strange and I wouldn't even be surprised at this point
0: uh it's yeah it's it's very strange to me I think in a way it almost works better if you haven't seen the first
3: film uh but uh yeah, yeah it's... it kind of it it really could be a standalone film Mm-hmm. well and this is what came
0: of rko just giving val uh, luton the title and saying make a movie with this title but we don't care what <laughs> what, you, what what you do other than that that's and he's so like strange. well i wanted to make this family drama about You know, a little girl coming of age and everything.
3: So I'll just do that and call it Curse of the Cat. Okay. You followed their rules, so. Yeah. So, um, Barbara is the cat woman.
0: That's the same actress. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And I was like. As
0: the. Not Irena from the first film, but the the lady that she sees who says, Moya's Estra to her.
1: But. Now she doesn't have an accent, and she's a different
3: character? Yeah.
1: Okay. I, I think so. I don't I
3: think it's I found that really be confusing, because I was like, why don't you have an accent anymore? Now you're not a Panther woman. What? That was really confusing. That was a weird move. hmm Unless you're just not supposed to be as observant as I am, and not realize that's the same person? Yeah, I mean,
0: I think... I think we've mentioned this before how in the Universal
3: movies from this period, they always reuse the same cast. Um, So. The same actors would appear in multiple movies playing different characters like. um, Something similar happens in the first two
0: Frankenstein films where um, Dwight Fry is the punchback assistant in the first movie gets killed by the monster. And then in the second film he appears again as the assistant. It's like oh. a very similar role, but now he's named Carl instead of Fritz.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, still I here I think it's because I saw the panther woman in the first movie and then was really surprised when she was only in that one scene. Like I kept waiting for her to show up again later on.
0: She looks so interesting.
1: She looks so interesting and I felt like it, it was a setup for like something bigger, and so when she never showed up again, I was like, "Okay, well, clearly she's gonna be in the sequel then." Mm-hmm. And so then when I saw the same actress, I was like, "Okay, here we go, finally." But no,
2: she's yeah, a finally character. some
0: some cat people in this movie called Cat. Right,
3: people. but no.
0: Yeah, and actually, they again. Force them to go and do some reshoots in order to add in some stuff at least somewhat connecting it to the previous film so uh, there's a shot really early on where Amy is at the um, uh, park with the other children on a field trip and two little boys see a black cat up in a tree and, oh. and they like Make machine gun noises at it and scare it away.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: that was originally not in the film. The studio made them go and shoot that particular little vignette in order to, so that I guess they could at least say there is like, a cat look, a there cat. is a cat oh my God, <laughs> there is a cat in the film <laughs> you can't say there's not a cat that's very cheeky but um but yeah Irina herself uh here um doesn't have anything to do with catness like i guess Mm -hmm. uh oliver brings up the fact that you know she he explains what happened to her in the first film briefly um and he explains it as if she was just deluded and killed herself right even though at the end of the first film they see that she's transformed into a cat but uh so there there is a sort of reference to what happened in the first film, but Irena, which I guess is another clue that maybe she's not the real Irena. she's just the imaginary friend of of Amy. She never brings up what happened to her or cats or anything.
3: I interpreted that as she's like moved on and is in like a better place and is like peaceful. She says something about she is from someplace dark and peaceful or something like that. Yeah. And I
1: just kind of interpreted that as, like, she's she's okay now. Like, she finally feels,
3: you know, at rest and isn't yeah. conflicted anymore. And she's, you know, it's sad that she's dead and gone, but she's, you know, she's in a better place, basically. Mm-hmm. That's how I interpreted it.
0: Yeah. And then at the end, when she leaves,
3: Amy says, I'll follow you. And she says, no one can follow me. Hmm. It's really, I don't know, uh, kind of spooky. Well, it's um, a very arena thing to say.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and her outfit is really interesting. She's got this. Oh, god. Uh, I,
1: that's like my favorite part of this movie. I was like, oh, a bell sleeve. I'm obsessed.
0: Yeah, well, that's another thing that is sort of the result of uh, studio meddling. Is there was an early scene in the film where Irena is looking at a a picture book that has like Cinderella with that dress on. Oh. And so that would have explained why she's wearing that. Got it. But, uh, yeah. So I guess, I don't know, we can talk about uh, what's going on in this movie a little bit. A lot of it
3: deals with the conflicts within Amy's family over her uh, imagination,
0: I guess. Her overactive imagination, according to Oliver.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But what I think is is kind of neat about it is that um, to take an early scene, uh,
0: nobody comes to Amy's birthday party because oh, God. she, instead of putting the invitations in the mailbox, she put them into a knot in the tree in the backyard um, because she believes that it is a magic mailbox. But the reason that she believes that is because Oliver told her that. Yep. And, and then he's, like, really upset with her for doing that.
1: Because he's stupid.
0: Even though he's the one that told her because he's like, well, that was years ago. You're supposed to have grown out of it. She's but then, six
3: years old.
0: Yeah, but then they have the the birthday party with just them, and when it's time to blow out the candles then they tell her, well, if you make a wish before you blow out the candles, if you don't tell anyone it'll come true. And so I think the, the movie is really kind of clever in the way that it's exploring the fact that we tell our children these lies, you know? Like we we tell our children about Santa Claus and the Easter bunny and all these things and then we expect them to not believe us at a certain point. Um so it's, Amy's getting very mixed messages from her parents. Yeah. Especially all
3: It's not nice. Lonely children especially have like really wild imaginations and it's just like so sad. This movie is so sad. <laughs> It's so sad to me.
0: It is. It is. It has sad moments, um. But I think it. I don't know. It has a. Unlike the first film, it has a happy ending at least.
3: Mhm. Um. It has a has a bit of schmaltziness to it. What does that word mean? I don't know. It's like a Frank Capra film or a Spielberg. You know, where where
0: it has a sort of um sentimentality to it Mm -hmm. because everything works out in the end uh through the power of love basically um so we could talk about about julia the uh retired actress who has become senile (laughs) and now lives in a,
3: a kind of dilapidated house with her daughter whom she believes is an imposter. Yeah. And uh so she befriends Amy and
0: this causes the daughter to become crazily jealous of Amy and at the end of the film uh she tries she goes to like strangle her and uh Irena appears like on top of... Uh, yeah. Of the daughter? Yeah. What What is her name? I'm forgetting. Barbara. Barbara. It's kind of like, if you've seen Blade Runner 2049, you know, they've got like the two chicks on top of each other. Um, the hologram on top of the real person. And um, so she goes to hug Irena and she hugs Barbara and that is sort of... Uh, She,
1: like, melts her cold heart.
0: Yeah. Her heart grew three sizes that day. Right, exactly. So that's a a bit sentimental. Yes, it is. But, um... Yeah, I mean, I think... I don't know, there's just... There's a lot of, like, emotional truths in this
2: movie.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Um... One thing that's kind of neat is... That I hadn't thought about before watching it this time is, uh, you know, there's kind of a parallel between these two plots, the story of Amy and her family, and then the story of Julia and Barbara, because both of those relationships are troubled by a sort of inability to agree about what is real life and what is a fantasy, right? Like all of her... Oliver- wants Amy to admit that her imaginary friend isn't real and Barbara wants Julia to admit that she is her daughter. And you have like kind of similar scenes you know where where Oliver is just shaking Amy and going like look over there and tell me that you don't see Irena and she can't do that you know she can't reject her her reality and julia has a kind of similar thing with barbara where she just will not accept that it's her daughter
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and that's i don't know i think that's kind of neat because uh it's drawing a parallel between childhood and old age um which is kind of like a really you know an ancient truism that old age is a second childhood right um yeah and so there's that interesting friendship that can form between this old woman and a young girl because they're both kind of in this fantasy land. You know, they've kind of retreated. Or I guess in Amy's case, she she's not ready to come into the world of,
3: of real life. And uh, Julia has sort of permanently checked out. Yeah. I was going to say, like, That old lady is definitely what Amy would turn into,
1: like, someday.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're both fascinated by stories. Mm Mm-hmm. They're sort of natural
3: storytellers. Amy is constantly telling herself these stories. Yeah. And um, being an actress is kind of like indulging in fantasy. Mm-hmm.
0: So given that the movie is about fantasy, what do you think it ultimately has to say about it? I think the ending is kind of interesting where,
3: um, you know, Oliver quote unquote, learns his lesson that he should uh,
0: just let Amy develop at her own pace and
2: mm-hmm.
3: accept her fantasies. And then they'll go away. And so in the end, uh, Irena is there, and uh, he asks
0: Amy if she sees her, and she says yes. And he says, I can see
3: her too, but he doesn't look over. Right. And then Irena disappears. So what do you do with that? find it extremely depressing. How so? because arena disappeared. Mhm. That's sad. So, I guess the movie is sort of saying we have to grow up and leave that stuff behind eventually. Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's wrong. I think that's the opposite of what we should be teaching people. Just hang on to your delusions for dear life? Not necessarily delusions, but, like, everything's better when you have a little bit of fantasy. Like, don't stop daydreaming. I think society wants to, like, crush us of all that childlike sort of, you know, daydreamy side that everyone has when we're children and like that's just that's wrong
2: mm-hmm. like
3: you can't like fully you can't be like julia and like fully just go into <sighs> fantasy 24 7 but don't crush it you know yeah. It's another one of those things where you have to find balance, kind of like your shadow self. hmm. Yeah, I feel so, like Oliver. Hasn't found that balance. Oliver doesn't have enough depth to. Have a fantasy side.
2: Hmm.
3: Well, I think. I mean, he's part- naive like a child, but he doesn't. He's not interesting enough to, like, understand what his daughter's talking about. Yeah. Although I guess he did
1: invent the, like, magic mailbox. (laughs) But
3: whatever. Then he's like, what? What do you mean the magic mailbox?
0: I mean, he he was attracted to Irena. True. He, He... I think the reason he responds so badly to amy's imaginary friend is because it takes the form of Irena and she's kind of his dark side you know she's the the dark part of his past and maybe he's never yes. come to terms with their relationship and how that worked out yeah, the role I that mean, he had in her death
1: alice said something about that like he never got over it and she yeah. even calls him out she's like look i'm not jealous but you you're obsessed with arena
0: Yeah, he still he doesn't get rid of the pictures.
3: Yeah,
2: that's like super sad um, when he has to burn the pictures.
3: He says something's really stupid. He's like talking about um his daughter, and he's like, uh,
1: it's almost like she's a Reina's child. It's like, bro, do you know how babies are
3: made? (laughs) Like, what? So my favorite, I have a favorite shot in
0: the movie, which is when Irena
3: leaves, she sort of says goodbye to Amy near the end of the film. Um, the, Irena's
0: kind of standing towards the back of the bedroom and Amy's in the bed. And uh, as Amy gets up from the bed, the camera slowly pans left and it's uh, the bedpost passes in between the lens and uh, Irena, and when we get to the other side of the bedpost, she's just gone, and we just see Amy standing, you know, looking towards the window, and the um, the curtains kind of flutter a little bit. I just find that to just be such a beautiful shot. It's such a uh, great decision to do that instead of having her like fade out because it's, yeah, that's it's nice. You know in line with The the whole ambiguity of arena right is she real or is she imaginary? Um, sometimes we're seeing from Amy's perspective and we see her then you know when Oliver is looking he doesn't see anything so there, in one shot we sort of transition almost from seeing her as amy sees her to seeing what everyone else would see which is there's nobody there do you have any like favorite or least favorite bits in the movie
2: um anytime
3: oliver's existing is my least favorite oh i thought you were gonna say it's your favorite um, no not my favorite uh, i
1: mean it's Like I said in the beginning, it's really uncomfortable to watch, like,
3: how mean the other kids are to her and stuff. That was... If... Let's leave all those memories buried where they belong. I like that Amy doesn't seem to let it get her down. You know? She's not... She doesn't seem to be super bothered by... How little people understand her.
1: I know she's only six, and... That's that's going to come in her teenage years when she starts resenting everybody for that.
3: But I I don't know. I just really liked her as a character and thought it was it was great.
0: Yeah, it's like she doesn't come off as dumb, but the movie really shows us how strange
3: and confusing the world is at that age.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Do you have anything else you wanted to talk about with uh, that one? Not really.
0: Okay, so... Uh,
1: I had a lot of questions, but you answered them all, so... Oh.
0: <laughs> That's just how good of a host I am, I guess. I guess so. Well, I have one more question. So between Cat People and Curse of the Cat People, which one did you like better?
3: I guess probably Cat People.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I think most most people probably would say that. My, uh, the sequels, I like it way better than the first one.
1: They're both really good so it's hard to say but i just kind of like the spooky intense aspects of cat people
0: yeah okay well um for next time we have a very special episode coming up Mm-hmm. you want to tell our
3: listeners
1: uh yeah so we're gonna do a crossover episode with my other podcast hauntings and homicide since we uh are covering amityville we decided uh all three of us, Kenny and I and Selena are gonna get together and and cover the movie that was based on the stuff that went down in Amityville.
0: Yeah, so um, in your other wait. podcast you like to talk about real life uh yeah. murders or
1: Murders and hauntings,
0: unexplained deaths
1: together yeah. Just like some spooky kind of spooky elements. Spooky crime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And so the movie, the Amityville Horror from 1979, was based on a book that I guess a guy wrote who claimed he was he and his family were chased out of their house in Amityville by a, a ghost.
1: Uh, it's a demon. A so demon. Okay. Get your shit together.
0: <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen the movie, um, and uh, maybe people at home should know the movie actually kind of sucks. So. Um, I'm kind of looking forward to that as well. We've never really done a bad oh, movie on this podcast.
1: I'm I'm excited for it to suck because this stuff is really scary to me. So the more it sucks, the easier it'll be for me because I'm pretty scared. Yeah, I'm scared to watch it.
0: Hmm. So, um, yeah, uh, listeners, check that movie out if uh, you must, and definitely <laughs> check out. Uh, the hauntings and homicide podcast episode on it that's gonna come out like uh, next week, August
1: probably. 8th, I believe.
0: Yeah, August eight. So, uh, and then our episode will come out like a week after that, maybe.
1: Sounds good.
0: All right. Well, we'll s- not see you then. <laughs> uh,
3: goodbye.